0: Welcome to Industry Nama, a podcast that covers everything A to Z on India's small business growth and job creation. My name is Rick Rosso and I hold the Wadwani Chair in US-India Policy Studies here at CSIS, and I've worked on Indian commercial issues for decades. Join us as we dive into the intersection of Indian government policy and the startup ecosystem, looking at good ideas to accelerate India's economic growth. Well, a warm welcome to my good friend, Dr. Chintan Vaishnav, CEO of the Italian Innovation Mission at NITI a role that he's held for the last 18 months. Uh, personally, I met Chintan back when he was a member of the founding team at the MIT Tata Center for Technology and Design. At MIT, he had a fascinating role utilizing MIT's massive student and faculty capabilities to look at scalable solutions to India's development challenges and couldn't have picked a better person, I think. To try to apply that experience and these talents to boosting India's innovation ecosystem at Niti Ayag. So, Chintan, thanks for joining us on the Industry Nama podcast today. Thank you, Rick. It's great to be here. Well, let's tee things off with the big question. Creating an innovation ecosystem. My gosh, I mean, it sounds like recreating the entire earth when you think about you know, all these great hotspots we've got here in the United States, Silicon Valley, Boston, etc. And sometimes they're talked about in a way that makes them sound like they're magical and unique. But, you know, in India, as you look to create a world class ecosystem, is it really all about magic or can you break it down into the many components that contribute to an innovation ecosystem and try to recreate those elements? So a big challenge, a big opportunity. How do you think about swallowing this elephant, about changing the nature in India to prepare more for innovation and for the startup environment?
1: Well, it's a great question. First of all, I mean, not only for the innovation ecosystem, but my background is in complex systems. So. By and large, what I have seen is that when ecosystems work, you can experience them. But if somebody asked you to describe why it's working, then it's very difficult to describe. So, for instance, when you go to uh, Hollywood to become an actor and you become an actor, you realize that Hollywood is different from Washington, D.C., for example. And there is an ecosystem that allows you to become that actor. But if somebody asks you to describe that ecosystem, it's really hard to do. But I think there's a way to do it. So in the context of innovation ecosystem, we have come to define it as the set of actors, their functions, and their interconnections that are essential for helping an idea become a business. So a set of actors, their functions, their interconnections that are necessary for helping an idea becoming a business. As they say, when the innovation ecosystem functions, if somebody nails it, the ecosystem scales, right? So if somebody nails a search algorithm, the ecosystem can make it Google. If somebody nails a social networking algorithm, the ecosystem can make it Google. Facebook and underneath it is essentially these actors that are the functions and their interconnections. And when these actors become stable and have viable business models or reasons to continue in that ecosystem and their interdependencies become dependable. Then you have a functional ecosystem. So in this case, who are these actors, right? So there's the innovator. There is somebody like an incubator or an accelerator or somebody who will help this innovator who is creating a business overcome valleys of death. What that means is that overcome situations where the cost keeps rising, but the revenue isn't rising yet. Those situations, these people will help them overcome. There will be investor There would be a mentor who can accelerate this journey. There would obviously be the end consumer. Behind all of this, there may need to be a policymaker if there are market failures and institutional failures and so on. If you have these and if you have these relationships orchestrated, then I think you can create a functional ecosystem. Is that helpful?
0: It is. I mean, not just creating institutions, but as you rightly point out. You know, there's stability and reliability, which sometimes is a bit of an afterthought, I think, when we look kind of the top down. So important, I think, ways to kind of underscore. Now, one of the features of an ecosystem, one that you're extremely familiar with from retirement, at MIT, universities. Again, fundamental in a lot of the hotbeds for innovation that we see here in the United States. How well are universities integrated in the innovation ecosystem in India? And what are some of the important ways that universities contribute? Obviously, hardcore research, but are there other functions that universities kind of play? So talk to me about the universities and how you see today and things that they can be doing to be contributors.
1: Yeah. So first of all, the Indian innovation ecosystem is not very old. So we could say that we have been at it in any serious way in the last decade. We were doing incubators in science and technology, research labs, et cetera, for some years. We were doing them in biosciences. But now, over the last 10 years, we have made an argument that innovation is not just limited to these spheres, but it's everywhere. So we are a young innovation ecosystem. That said, much of our focus so far has been on the academic side. And so a lot of this investment is in academia, in creating those incubators. So the host institutions for these incubators, more often than not, is a university. Even so, most of the innovators or entrepreneurs who work in these incubators today are not necessarily university students going forward. But are people in that region who may or may not have mostly may have university degrees after some experience coming back and doing entrepreneurship through such platforms? It is still early stage in the Indian context. You can today go to any college and every student would tell you that I am thinking about entrepreneurship as one of the options after I graduate. So that's a very positive sign. But if you talk to the faculty, the faculty-led entrepreneurship is still quite limited. So therefore, the research and publications still remain disconnected from translation and startups and scale-ups and so on.
0: You hit on a fundamental point, you know, I think is the aspirations for the young folks versus folks that are a little bit older and grew up maybe in a more conservative environment. I sometimes joke that, you know, once you open up the matrimonial ads in India and you see three time failed entrepreneur as one of the things that's highlighted, then you know that, you know. <laughs> Socially, things have progressed enough where you're actually going to begin to see more of a drive, but that may be a couple of years off, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> at least a couple of years off. I think that's the very interesting litmus test you have concocted there. I mean, one of the things that we did, at least in our hiring at the innovation agency, at Atel Innovation Mission, is, you know, our hiring has to be completely transparent. So how we ranked people who applied, why we selected some, why we didn't select some, it has to be completely public. So one of the things that we've added to our rubric for shortlisting is we have said that a failed entrepreneur gets exactly the same points as a graduate of an IIT or an IA. I love
0: it. Because
1: it's very difficult to teach all of that at the university, right? You have to go out, try things and fail. Well,
0: let's talk about the types of innovation. You know, I mean, India is everything all in once at maximum level at all times. You show up in Bombay and Bangalore and Hyderabad, and you see a modern world that everybody around the world would recognize. And then you step out, you know, in rural parts of Bihar, UP, and you see a very different world. But look, somebody starting the Karana or somebody starting a small market in rural part is an entrepreneur. Somebody starting the next big software item is an entrepreneur. Here you are running this important Atal innovation mission at Neeti. How do you think about that sort of world scale innovation that's happening in India versus local innovation? And how do you put weightage in contributing to both? Or is there not much of a difference in terms of the kind of mechanisms and tools they need?
1: No, no, I think regional imbalances in innovation ecosystem is still a reality. I would say that, I mean, having spent time in the United States working with corporations and so on, I realize that regional imbalances are a fact in any large geography. And so it is a fact in India too. And there's a wide range of activity going on here. You see the places like Bangalore or Gurgaon outside New Delhi or Chennai or Hyderabad. These are places where the ecosystem is vibrant and is functional and is going at a very rapid pace. A lot of the unicorns that you would have heard about obviously are from these places. The next concentric circle is the tier two, tier three, tier four towns. The nature of problems people pick from these places is different because their context is different. But the uh, level of support they have is still not equal to what's available in these hotbeds. But that's the circle we are now trying to build. Recently, we had a call for applications open. More than 400 applicants applied to create an incubator, and many of them are from tier two, tier three, tier four. These are private institutions who now feel that they must build something to support innovation. So that movement is on. And then, of course, there's the third concentric circle, which is the rural areas. And obviously, I mean, the creative potential is almost equal in all these places. But we don't have the commensurate infrastructure for innovation in rural areas, although India arguably would be a world leader in grassroots innovations. You know, if you look at the work of Professor Anil Gupta at, you know, Honey Bee and the National Innovation Foundation and so on, many creative people solving local problems with their ingenuity is something that you find widespread in India. So far, that ecosystem is still in a very, very early stage and. That's something we have taken on through our program, for instance, our community innovation centers. But the models are still out as to exactly what's going to work and so on.
0: Got it. Well, I'm sure those are going to be lessons, too, that can be applied a lot of places around the world once India figures out the best way to engage. Now, you got to talk at least for a minute about COVID. It had such an impact on almost everything that we were doing. You showing up in April of 2021 to take over the Italian Innovation Mission. I mean, things are kind of in full swing. The lockdowns are across the board. But you know, for your role, how did that change things? Both in terms of are there startups that we're looking to take advantage of imbalances that COVID kind of highlighted, or was it a bit of a lockdown across the board because people working from home a little bit tougher to raise capital and do those foot pounding things that are required to get something off the ground? So COVID, you know, both in terms of triggering innovation but also limiting new things. But what was kind of the experience that you saw from this big perch that you're at?
1: I think uh, two trends are very very clear one is that a large scale virtualization happened of the innovation ecosystem so instead of building more infrastructure which physically that people were building because they couldn't build it but they wanted to keep going, they virtualized and today now you see a much more of the following where A startup from one region of India is incubated in some other region of India because incubators opened up to anybody from anywhere. Their services became virtual within the context of innovation ecosystem. For startups, what happened was on the positive side, many that had any capability that could solve a COVID-related problem, especially in biosciences and so on, they pivoted to solving COVID problems and some of them did very very well also like dry swab for collecting samples for pcr tests and all that it is very very fascinating pivots finally if you look at the sector specific concentrations i think healthcare really accelerated in terms of the innovation and entrepreneurship those trends are quite visible
0: so, virtualization across the board, healthcare startups, not surprisingly, makes a lot of sense. Last question I've got for you actually hits on something you mentioned just briefly before, but anytime that you open up a newspaper and read about India's startup ecosystem, the word unicorns is flying around like crazy. You kind of expect when you get off a plane in India now, you're going to see a bunch of unicorns prancing down the streets with as many as India's been able to produce. It's obviously a great talking point. Is there a wider significance that you think to this many unicorns? You know, something that folks aspire to, or is it a little little overblown and the important stuff is the hundreds of others that are below that threshold. So tell me about
1: unicorns, myth, reality, and how important? The talking part, part is quite interesting because the great talking points are those which divide people. <laughs> and uh, the this whole topic of unicorn, it uh, raises this emotions. You know, some say, oh my God, look at these unicorns and we are so successful and whatever. And there are others who would say, but Look at all these other problems and, you know, why are we talking about unicorns? So it's a topic that immediately seems to invite the person to form an opinion about. it. That's a good topic for public discussion, right? (laughs) But objectively, the strength of the innovation ecosystem is not in unicorns alone, but it's in the (laughs) cornfields, if you would. But the one good thing that unicorns are doing is that they are attracting a lot of capital. And that in some ways is a good thing for the ecosystem. Many of these unicorns are also reinvesting in certain causes that otherwise wouldn't be taken up very easily and so on. So personally, I feel that I have no reason to have an opinion about them. But if I were to objectively observe them, I would say that these are a couple of positives that they do bring to our ecosystem.
0: Well, that's great. And I think most importantly, you might have given us a title for this edition of the podcast of unicorns and cornfields. Certainly, India is large enough to sort of capture uh, multitudes in multiple directions, the high and the mighty that are doing extremely well and the massive innovation across the country that needs to take place to give a lot more people those great opportunities. Well, there's nobody in the organization that's doing more, I think, to try to create that ecosystem and improve it than the Italian Innovation Mission in Chintin. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you and I think pull out some of these threads work that you're doing, and what you see in the ecosystem there. As India succeeds in this space, I think the world will succeed based on some of those great innovations and the work that are going to come out of India and have global applications. So Chintan, thanks for giving me a bit of time and really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Rick. And always great to chat with you. You are one of the people I know in the United States who knows more about India than most Indians I know. So (laughs) it's always great to have these conversations. Uh, Thanks a lot.
0: That's it for today's episode. Subscribe to Industry Nama on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to visit our website at csis.org forward slash India. And thanks for listening.